100 Moments That Rocked Computer Science with Professor Sue Black, OBE. Coming up, we'll hear all about an extraordinary innovation. For me personally, the development of search engines is really one of the biggest moments that rock computer science. The challenges that led to its discovery. 99.6 kilobits per second was the maximum speed of this link. And the impact it has on our world and maybe our future. Google is about as close to magic as you can imagine. All this and more as we explore another moment that rocked computer science. science. Moment number one, the birth of internet search. Hi there, I'm Professor Sue Black and joining me as always this week is Professor Gordon Love, Head of Department for Computer Science at Durham University. Hi Gordon, how are you? Uh, Hi Sue, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, yeah, not bad. Thanks. Having a, a loft extension built at the moment, so lots of um, noise. And uh, last week, a foot through the ceiling. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't too bad. No one was hurt. So, uh, and the guy that put his foot through the um, ceiling is about to start studying computer science. So, um, had a great chat with him. <laughs> oh, make sure he doesn't go off for a great new career in computer science before he finishes your your loft no no true i won't yeah so you you're planning on getting an extension or something as well aren't you uh, well actually i'm thinking of getting a new kitchen i've, I've lived in my uh-huh. my current house for about 25 years and uh yeah we've had the same kitchen all along so and you thought academics were boring right <laughs> we have such exciting lives <laughs> here at durham we're passionate about computer science which is why we started this podcast each episode we'll be sharing a moment from history that helps shape both computer science and the world around us Today, we're going to be talking about the birth of internet search. I'll be exploring the science behind the moment. And I'll be speaking to a special guest about just why it was so extraordinary. Don't forget, you can email us with any questions about today's episode or computer science in general at Durham using 100moments at durham.ac.uk. So, Gordon, what exactly is a search engine? I like to think of a search engine as being an answer machine. Uh, Whenever we've got information to pass or to to kind of make simpler, uh, we look for shortcuts. You know, if I had had 20 books and I need to find one of them, there's no need for any kind of search or reference section. But if I had 20,000 books, I clearly need some kind of aid that supports me to find the correct one. And, uh, of course, with internet searches, this becomes even more complex. Uh, Google currently indexes something like 35 trillion. Uh, a trillion is one, one with 12 zeros after it. So 35 trillion web pages. So Incredible. You know, finding the correct one can be uh, tricky, yeah. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, for me personally, the development of search engines is really one of the biggest moments that rock computer science because... I think really it changed the way we kind of approach knowledge and, and, and the way in particular that we approach facts in a, in a really fundamental way. So I, I kind of think that we used to live in a world where, well, certainly knowing things was important. And secondly, if you didn't know them, it was important to know where you could go find them out. That was a skill in itself. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, now, of course... 
anyone can find out most things known to mankind within a within a few clicks of a of a mouse. I mean, that's just an incredible development. Of course, that's not to say we're living in any any kind of utopia at the moment. We have we have different problems now. Uh, we have to work out whether we can trust the information that we read and and how can we filter out important information uh, from garbage. You know, but fundamentally, in a really important way. The search engine has changed our relationship with knowledge. So do you remember what you used to do before we had the internet in terms of finding stuff? I was chatting to my 17-year-old youngest daughter uh, recently and she was absolutely astounded that if I, when I was her age, if I wanted to find something out, I had to go down the road and go to the library and like pick up a book and have a look at it. She just couldn't believe that you'd actually have to even just go out of the house, yeah. you know, out of the school to find out. Absolutely, yeah. Well, remember what it was like going on holiday. I can remember my father literally. So we'd want to go to France. We kind of knew that France was a nice place, but maybe we didn't know the details of specific areas. So we'd physically write a a letter to the tourist board of a local area and they would send you a brochure back. And (laughs) of course, it was quite good fun doing this in long, dark winter months. (laughs) We weren't messing around on Twitter and no. so on, so we'd you know, physically write letters. We, I think we just proved that we're both old codgers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So this week, Gordon, I'm going to be chatting to Alan Emtage, who invented Archie. Can you tell us what Archie is? Yeah, sure. Um, really exciting that Archie was the first internet search wow. engine. So, you know, before, before Google and uh, Yahoo, et cetera, things that we use we use nowadays yeah so yeah archie it consisted of two key components if you like so first of all there was a a server that looked through or indexed uh contents of public ftp servers ftp is a way of uh, sharing information on the internet a file transfer protocol um and the second component was a search tool used to actually go through through the contents of uh of all that information so what, what are the different types of search? Um, of course, text is what most people consider when you're talking about uh, web searching, and, and probably that still is by far the, the, the largest way we search for things on the internet. I mean, it's certainly true when, we, when we're inputting into the internet. Of course, uh, we can now use audio as well, um, but they tend to be methods of transcribing audio into uh into text, you know, if you use an Alexa assistant or uh, any kind of voice recognition system, it's a way of converting sound into text. Yeah. Have you got any good Alexa stories? <laughs> no, it's just making me think because we've got a HomePod. Well, we've got Alexa and HomePod. Ah. And um, just now and again, like we're just sitting there. Sometimes I might just be sitting there by myself at like 11 o'clock at night or quiet. And it, and it just suddenly goes, mm-hmm, in the corner and frightens the life out of me. I have to say, I'm such a Luddite. I don't have um, Alexa, but yeah, I should get one. Wow. <laughs> of course, nowadays we want to be able to also search um, images and maybe videos as well. And uh, of course, often images have text associated with them, kind of like metadata. Personally, I think it's really interesting thinking about how we search for images on the internet. It kind of crosses over into my own area of research. I mean, we think that computers are really fantastic at many things. turns out that our brains, human beings, are absolutely awesome at processing images. Hmm. Computers, of course, can now analyze images, but they're kind of only sort of getting up to the, to the, to the levels that, that we can do as human beings. We're, we're, we're still the gold standard at analyzing images. We're brilliant at it. Amazing. We've obviously 
we've evolved to do that. We we didn't evolve to add up numbers. Hmm. No, that's really uh, really interesting. Um, so, what are the scientific principles behind search engines, Gordon? Yeah, I guess there's kind of three of the key, if you like, ingredients. Well, first of all, there's something called uh, web crawling. So these are automated systems that are constantly on the search through the internet, looking for both new and updated pages. And once once they've been identified, they need to be uh, downloaded and indexed. Then there's passing the data. So this is where you, by passing, I mean, you take the you take the information that's out there and examine it and extract the relevant and useful features that you can then refer back to if someone happens to do a search on on that particular topic. And then I guess if you like, there's the secret source in, in web searching. How, how do you actually do the analysis? How do you actually choose which page comes up first, yeah. second and third and so on? And of course, that's a, um, you know, a, a massive question in search engines. I mean, Google have done particularly well at, at that kind of uh, analysis. And indeed, they were the first people to to analyze searches based on the number of hits that other people had to that site yeah. as a way to rank them. Right. Okay. Actually, it just reminded me of a time when I was at Bletchley Park and um, Google got involved and they presented i think i can't remember if it was for a raffle that we had but um they had part of their search algorithm kind of etched into a metal plate and uh, i think it was auctioned off to raise funds for bletchley park fantastic so why are search engines so important then gordon in the modern world in particular i think i began by saying that the way we interact with data uh, has changed in the modern world that's definitely true but the other strand of that, if you like. The other really important thing to remember is that the amount of data that's available in the world has changed dramatically as well. Yeah. I've kind of gone away and researched a few figures, but, you know, the internet or the web now reaches around about 60% of the global population. That's about four and a half billion people, which of course is a fantastic thing. It's probably going to go up even more. Yeah. So in 2020, of course, the year of COVID, when we were all sat at home, we generated more data per day than ever before. So I think 1.7 megabytes of data was created every second by every person in the world during 2020. I mean, something like in the last two years alone, an astonishing 90% of the world's data has been generated. And this kind of exponential increase is very likely going to continue. That's incredible. So something like... Well, these are fantastic units. I love them. I had to go look them up. But two point five, two point five quintennial bytes. What? An, what the heck's a quintennial? It's it's ten to the eighteen. Yeah. It's a million, million, million. Wow. Two point five quintillion bytes of data are produced by humans uh, every day. Um, every day, three hundred and seven billion emails are sent. Main, mainly by you, Gordon, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Three hundred seven billion emails are sent, and uh, five five hundred million tweets. Oh, that's that's, that's from you, Sue. Yeah, you. <laughs> five hundred million tweets are made every day. So, absolutely, search engines just so critical in making some kind of sense for this huge amount of data that we have available to us. Of course, Google is is a number. It's spelt differently. Okay, G double O. G-O-L is 10 to the power of 100 or one with 100 noughts after it. Wow. And that's where they got the name from. Exactly, yeah. 
Wow, that's just incredible, incredible numbers. And like numbers like quintillion just makes me think again of when I was a kid and like looking up the, you know, different orders of uh, magnitude and what the numbers were and trying to remember them. But I don't actually remember looking at the, ever seeing quintillions. We must have gone even higher than, than maybe existed when I was a kid. I don't know. <laughs> Right. This week's guest is computer scientist Alan Emtage, who has a very special connection to our topic as he invented Archie. I called him on a windy day at his home in Barbados to find out how he came to create Archie and how search technology has transformed the potential of the internet. Hi, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honour to be asked. You're very welcome. So I, th- I think you're in Barbados now, is that right? I am in Barbados at the moment. Uh, beautiful, uh, sunny, windy, very windy day, which means that you will possibly hear kites, uh, the sound of uh, buzzing in the background from time to time. Okay. It's kite flying season. And, uh, oh, wow. Through Easter, they... Um, they put the kites up and they leave them there. <laughs> okay, wow. Well, thanks again for joining us. So we're going to be talking about Archie today and you, you know, the the fact that you invented the first search engine. I'd absolutely love to know kind of how that came about, where you were and what happened and how you came to create it. Well, um, it's basically a story of laziness <laughs> and lack of desire to do any work. Um, well, which is partially true, actually. So I was a student at uh, a graduate student at McGill University mm-hmm. in Montreal, uh, yeah. and um, we had a set of um, mini computers. Uh, this was uh, the late eighties, nineteen eighty nine, nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine, and um, I'm a pack rat by nature. You know, yeah. I collect stuff. Um, you know, collecting information, collecting encyclopedias and dictionaries and that kind of stuff. And so I became, by default, a sort of resident person for finding stuff on the still very small internet uh, at at the time. Uh, I mean, the internet had been around for 20 years at that point, Mm -hmm. but still it was mostly just universities uh, and the research arms of corporations. Now, at the time... Information was stored in what we call anonymous FTP archives, which still exist to this day. Uh, basically, repositories of programs and data where anybody with internet access could log in and retrieve that information. Yeah. I developed a set of scripts to de- retrieve these listings from these anonymous FTP archives, so basically index cards which I could then search locally. So I would have basically just the file names, right? So you're, you're really are just talking about file, file names. Yeah. The reason we d- I did this was because uh, we had a link to the internet, which served McGill and the four other universities in Montreal. So 99.6 kilobits per second was the maximum speed of this link. You couldn't even no. get a link that, that, that's that slow nowadays. And so my scripts would, would wake up in the middle of the night uh, and they would retrieve the listings and store them for me locally. And then I could search through them. Yeah. So hopefully the name of the file 
would match what they were looking for. Yeah. One day, my boss, who was also a graduate student, uh, came to me and asked me if I could find something, and he published it on Usenet. I don't know if you remember Usenet. Yeah. That then provoked a set of other requests from people. And we soon realized, you know, it was kind of silly for me to do manual searches for requests that people were sending across these, uh, you know, in email or whatever. Yeah. Why don't we just allow access to those listings directly so people could log onto the machine directly and search the listings? And yeah. that's what we did. And that's what's considered the first internet search engine. Wow, amazing. <laughs> and it's it's great that, you know, I think with a lot, a lot of these things, quite often at the beginning, you're just trying to solve a problem that you've got maybe as one person. And, and But then it turns out that, you know, many, many other people have, have the same problem or a, a similar problem. So what would you say actually makes something a search engine? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, what makes something a search engine? Uh, now, remember, search engines existed before... The internet existed, right. right? There were there were there were search engines, library catalogs, for example, yeah. would be considered a search engine, right? I mean, anything that searches is a search engine, right? <laughs> I mean, it, I'm not sure if there is a, a working definition of that. It's it's as the Supreme Court justice in the state said about pornography. I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's well, basically, any piece of software that gathers information and then allows you to search it. I mean, I, I would say that's the broadest possible definition of a search engine. So, so how do you think Archie laid the foundations for search engines that came after Google? You know, we all know now, but uh, I'm kind of thinking back to when I was doing my PhD and I think we were using either Yahoo or AltaVista. So, you know, yeah, how did Archie lay the foundations for, for Google or for sort of modern day search engines? Well, I mean, I think it laid the foundation for all search engines. Uh, but uh, Google had a particularly smart idea, and that's why they became the dominant search engine. Yeah. The basic techniques of uh, retrieving information, pulling them into a database, uh, making them searchable, and allowing access to that, to that database is the, is the foundation of all search engines, right? All of, all of them do exactly that. Yeah. And Archie did all of those things. So yes, so there was Inktomi and AltaVista and Yahoo and, you know, there was, there was the, the first search engine for the web was called AliWeb, yeah. which was Archie-like indexing of the web. So it was an homage to Archie. Uh, <laughs> and what Google did was something that was particularly smart, uh, which was they... You know, all search engines have to rank results. So it's not good enough just to find what you're looking for, the string or whatever you're looking for in the database. You then have to be able to rank those results to try and put the most relevant results at the top. Yeah. And what Google did, which was different from all the others, and what made it almost omniscient, right? I mean, Google is about as close to magic as you can imagine. Yeah. Because, I mean, you just think about it. You, you, you go in there, you type in five, four or five words of the subject of what you're looking for, and 95% of the time, the answer you're looking for comes up in the first, you know, five, ten results, yeah. right? That's, that's having sifted through literally petabytes of data. So that's kind of as close to an omniscient being as you're going to get. 
And what Google did is use the existing links to provide rankings. So, for example, you had a page, you love mushrooms, right? You collect mushrooms, you eat mushrooms, you, you love everything about mushrooms. Yeah. You put a page up on the web about mushrooms. If that information is authoritative, if that information is important, if that information is unique, a lot of people will link to that page, right? You will become the, the, the site, the page online for mushrooms, yeah. What Google then did was say, okay, I'm going to rank the results based on, and I'm simplifying it tremendously here, but based on how many people link to a particular page, how many links point to that page, because I'm going to use that as a, as a heuristic. I'm going to use that as a metric to determine how important this page is in the context of those results. Okay. And so effectively what you're doing is that you're leveraging off of human knowledge. You're leveraging off of decisions that humans have made to say this is an important piece of information and using that to rank the results. Okay. And that's what PageRank did. It is far more sophisticated than that now, incredibly sophisticated. But that at the, at the base, that's what put PageRank ahead uh, above the rest. And that's what made Google successful. Right. So, so I hadn't um, really thought about that. Google were the first to do that, were they, in terms of search yes. engines? Okay. Google was the first to really, to really capture that idea and say, uh, uh, we're going to use the knowledge that humans have accumulated by determining what is important and use that to rank our results. So how do you think that search technology then kind of transformed the potential of the internet? Oof, the internet would be um, pretty much unusable without, a, without search engines, right? Yeah. Something that I want to make people aware of is the power of search engines, yeah. right? And like any technology, search engines have the power for good or for evil. Google has a, amazing power, right? Tremendous power. So... And I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting they're doing this. I'm not even, there's no, there's no indication of any of this stuff. But can you imagine a very powerful search engine decided to mess with the rankings of, say, political parties during an election? Hmm. Yeah. And we've seen this. We, we, there's actually been research done in, in India as to how rankings affect voting choices. Right. And it is very very concerning to me that these entities, these private entities, have that kind of power without any transparency. Now, there's a reason why they don't have transparency, okay? And it's not necessarily nefarious. One is that it's their proprietary stuff and it, what, you know, it's the, it's the goose that laid the golden egg. But beside that, transparency brings potential manipulation by outside forces. I mean, that's, that's what search engine optimization is, right? Search engine optimization is trying to game the system. At, you know, you can wrap it in other terms, yeah. but it basically is trying to get your thing higher up in the rankings, okay? Yeah. So they have had to become uh, very opaque in their... Uh, in their algorithms, in their methods, uh, because they don't want to be manipulated or they're trying to resist the manipulation. 
But that same opacity means that we don't know how those things work. We don't know how their, their, their ranking works. And if you got a bad apple in there uh, who wanted to manipulate the results, we don't know what kind of controls exist to prevent that from happening. Yeah. So, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and they have great power. We just don't know what their, where their responsibility is. With all technology, you know, there's there's a good side and there's a bad side. And, and well, you know, technology is kind of agnostic, isn't it, in a way, um, because it's the people behind everything that, you know, that can use it for good or ill. It's just a, a kind of sort of suite of, of platforms and interfaces and stuff. And it's, you know, there's there's good people and, and bad people in the world. You know, is, is plutonium good or bad? Well, a lot of people would say bad, but that's what's powering the uh, Perseverance rover on Mars right now, as a, you know, chunk of plutonium. Right. Yeah. I kind of think it is down to us as as technologists to to have a large input into trying to to make sure that technology isn't used for ill in the world. It's a real issue, and I, I don't say I have the answers. I just want people to be aware of the issues. Uh, maybe somebody smarter than me will come up with an answer, but uh, I think people need to be aware of these things, uh, and they're not. I mean, the, 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 the problem is that it's not widely appreciated. No, absolutely. Well, hopefully, when this podcast goes out, uh, we'll get some interesting opinions from people and maybe go some way towards, uh, take some steps towards trying to sort these kind of things out. You didn't actually patent Archie. Why was that? Because uh, I came out of an academic background, right? The internet at the time, the backbone did not allow for commercial use. So the work we were doing on the internet or on, on Archie was not aimed at commercialization. So number one, that we start, we start out of that. Secondly, there's a story that I've told a million times, but uh, we used to do a lot of work with the IETF, Internet Engineering Task Force. That is the standard setting body for the internet. We were a small group within that called user services. When I came along, the applications on the internet were basically Telnet, which allowed remote login, FTP, which allowed file transfer, email, and Usenet, which was a distributed uh, forum. Um, so if you imagine Reddit, but, you know, distributed across the, uh, the entire internet, those were basically the only applications that we had on the internet at the time. You know, at the time, it was all of the pioneers, right? All of the, 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 the people who had built the internet were attending the IETF, right? So uh, people like Vint Cerf, who created the protocols for the, for the internet. People like John Postel, who was doing the RFCs, which are the standards for the, for the internet. You know, so these were the, the, the people who had built the internet from the ground up. And we were in a bar one night at the end of a, you know, a day-long sessions with the IETF. And we were talking to Vint. And Vint said jokingly, uh, you know, why don't you guys patent this? And I'm not sure if we thought about that at that point. Anyway, we went off. Peter and I went off and we thought about it. And um, we, 
you know, discussed it. And what we decided was that we did not want to inhibit the growth of this industry. We did not want to put roadblocks into what was happening. It was the beginning. It was the early 90s. Things were just starting to pick up. You know, Tim Berners-Lee was, was, was with the IATF trying to bring the web and standardize the web across the net. And we did not want to put roadblocks up. And we thought that by patenting it and requiring licensing and all of that kind of stuff, it was going to strangle the baby in the crib, to, to use a very politically incorrect uh, term these days. And so we intentionally did not patent it. As a matter of fact, a few years later, and I want to say 1998, maybe 1999, something like that. Yeah. Um, the CEO of Alta Vista at the time, in an interview, came out and said, oh, yes, we are going to go or we're going to patent all the basic algorithms of search engines because we, you know, we developed the search engine technology and... I issued a press release and said, uh, no, you're not. Uh, you guys didn't invent this. And I have prior art. And if you guys try to patent this, I will, um, I will be available to anybody who wants to challenge the patent. <laughs> and we never heard of it ever again. So, you know, we're talking 10 years after Archie. Yeah. And we see the, the, the people trying to come in and trying to take advantage of it for commercial reasons, and that's exactly what we were trying to prevent, right? Wow. Um, had they been successful and done that, then, you know, basically everybody would have had to pay Alta Vista for, for any new search engine technology that came along. So, uh, or search engine technologies that built on the stuff that we had created. So uh, I was very happy about that. Wow. Thank you for doing that. Your decision, I guess, there you know, has, has benefited everyone in the world. You're welcome. Well, you know, it's making me think, why Why did I not, you know, why have I only heard about you recently, really? And that's kind of from investigating who we wanted to talk to on our podcast. You know, I kind of feel like you should be more famous than you are. I mean, if, if Google wants to give me a billion dollars, I will be more than happy to, to I will, <laughs> you know, gratefully accept it. Um, but uh, they, they haven't yet seen fit to do so. Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> Maybe after this goes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I've been hinting about that for about 15 years. I don't think it's made any difference so far. <laughs> how brilliant to speak to the person who invented internet search just such an incredible uh, man and conversation what do you think gordon yeah absolutely it's great to kind of hear it straight from the proverbial horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we probably all use a search engine tens of times per day and, you know, really interesting to see how they evolved. Yeah, completely. And, you know, I, I just love the fact that, you know, Alan kind of created Archie to, to solve a problem that he had, but then found out that thousands of people or more, you know, had had the same kind of uh, issue. And, and so what he was doing was was valuable to so many people. So I love that. And I also just love the fact that, you know, he hasn't tried to make any money out of it. And hopefully Google will give him lots of money at some point. Yeah. 
Fingers crossed. So Alan talked about the lack of transparency in internet search. If people come to study computer science at Durham, is this something that they have a look at? This is certainly an area that we're really trying to develop at Durham. I think if you actually think about what are some of the biggest issues in computer science in the current world, they're not necessarily technical problems. Of course, there are plenty of technical problems. Yeah. But the, you know, the, the biggest challenges is how, to, how do we interact with computers? How do we trust uh, the information that they produce? Is the information that they produce free from bias? How, 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 yeah. how are the algorithms set up? Which, which are going to be used to, to describe the way we interact with the world. These are all, for me, the really big questions in computer science, and it's certainly something where we're building up expertise and research on at Durham. So absolutely. Yeah, we've got our research centre looking at bias in AI, and we've got PhD students looking at that too. It's an area that I think is just going to get bigger and bigger, really, in research terms. Right, so that was great, wasn't it, Gordon? Really interesting this week. Yeah, fascinating. So you need to get back to your... Uh, Fixing up your loft. Back to my loft extension. <laughs> yeah, like, luckily that they've they've kept quiet on the roof, so that's been good. Are you going off to um, look at your kitchen yeah. planning? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, of course, I, I don't even need to send off any brochures. I can just do a search on the internet. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Thanks, Gordon. Don't forget. We want to hear the moments that rocks your world of computer science. You can email us using 100moments at durham.ac.uk or tweet us at 100momentscs. We might even use your ideas in the next series. Tune in next time for another moment that rocked computer science. science. 100 Moments That Rock Computer Science was a Why Did the Chicken production for Durham University. It was presented by Professor Sue Black, OBE, and Professor Gordon Love, and featured the voice of Otis Dealey, with thanks to our ingenious guest, Alan Emtage. The researcher was Dr. Craig Stewart, the producer, Redsy Bernard, and the executive producer, Dan Page. If you enjoyed the show, please do three lovely things for us. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and tell a friend. Tell a friend.